a gloriously high-energy mix of ancient and new Irish music from the legendary group Danube, the joyful and gospel-tinged sounds of London's The Kingdom Choir, Grammy Award-winning jazz guitarist John Pizzarelli and vocalist Catherine Russell performing Nat King Cole and the Ladies of Song, an astonishingly funny and flexible visit by renowned comic contortionist Jonathan Burns, Tony Award-winning actress Laura Benanti in concert, and the Wonder Bread Years, an evening of hilarious and nostalgic Americana, along with special pre-show dinners, jam sessions, lectures, and conversations, all just a sampling of the brilliant array of world-class performing arts events on offer this season from the KU Presents Performance Series on the beautiful campus of Kutztown University. This is WDIY 88.1 Public Radio in the Lehigh Valley, and you are tuned in to Lehigh Valley Arts Salon. I remain Kate Scuffle, your host, and this evening I'm talking with Brian Zelmer, director of the KU Presents series, as well as executive director of the Kutztown University Arts Society. Welcome, Brian. Hi, Kate. How are you? I'm good. It's good to have you here. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. You know, it, we were talking a little bit before we went on the air about the background of the series KU Presents, which was fascinating. I, I hadn't known as much about it. Could you share with our audience absolutely. How, the kind of the growth of the series? Sure. Actually, I was fortunate. I've been with the series for five years now. And when I joined, they were just coming up to their 30th anniversary. And I thought a great way to not only provide a service about the uh, 30 years of the series, but also to help me learn <laughs> faster, is we worked with our television program, and we put together a, a documentary series. And I got yeah. to interview all of the past people involved in, in the uh, administration back in the 80s that created the series, as well as Ellen Finks, who was our founding director, and she ran the program for the first 20 years. Uh, started it in 1988 yeah. and uh, grew it to what it was. It went from three shows to what we're doing today. Wow. I hadn't realized, that's right, that you have the television production element out there at the university. Yes, yeah, a lot of great programs, and that's one of them. Yeah. And what particularly drew you then, you know, when it came time for you to join the, the lineage? So I've been, the type of role that I'm in, it's, a, it's called director, but uh, generally we're known in the industry as presenters. And we're the people that book the shows and, and work with artists and agents. And that's something that I've loved doing now since... 2007, 2008, somewhere around there, I started at a venue in New Jersey and just fell in love with it. I actually didn't even realize this job existed or thought about it anyway in, it, in any way uh, until I fell into that role. And I didn't look back ever since because it's something I love to do. Before coming to Kutztown, I was in a venue in Colorado, northern Colorado, about an hour north of Denver. And my family, I have four children and a wife, and they were still living here in Pennsylvania. Oh. And so uh, it was getting too hard to commute from Colorado, 1,700 miles uh, back and forth, and, and missing out on a lot of my children's you know, younger years. So I was keeping an eye open, and I saw that the position opened up in 2017 and applied, and it was a match <laughs> for both of us. How is it compared to the other positions? I mean, Kutztown's a very special. I, yeah, I really I love mean, the community the there. The job descriptions are pretty much written very similarly, but it really is tailored to whatever community you're in. Mm -hmm. So I had to do a lot of learning because Kutztown is very different than Loveland, Colorado, where I was. Um, and the first things you get to do when you enter this role is really getting out into the community and, and meeting people and learning about you know what it is they're looking for 
from your department or what is missing that they wish your department could bring to the community. Um, and so, you know, I, I did kind of just luckily that season was already booked by my predecessor. So I was able to kind of sit back and watch the operations and, and evaluate that um, without having to quickly book a new season. But I, that also gave me time to kind of get to know our subscribers and, you know, get to know some of our sponsors and the community in general, just going out and, and yeah. talking to people. It's interesting because a series like this, based at a university, you, it, must, it must be a balancing act. You're serving the university and your students, but you're mm-hmm. also serving your community. Well, it's so funny because this is the common problem. And I've been at another college previously, very similar type of program. And a lot of people, a lot of artists will come and say, well, I don't see many students here. You know, what's going on? And what they don't understand is that our department is actually designed to, it, it was brought, the whole purpose of it was to bring people from off campus onto campus and um, kind of be a conduit to the community using the arts. And I have a predecessor at the university, just as I did at my previous college, that focused on the students. So they would program just like I do, but with the students as the target, where I'm programming as the the greater community as the target. And of course, I always love to have student interaction and students come to shows, and we try to encourage them to come. They get very cheap tickets, sometimes even free. But really, the big thing that we've been doing, no matter what's happening with tickets and the concert, is we do a lot of outreach, uh, a lot of workshops and master classes and meet and greets mm-hmm. that we do with the students, you know, and, and that's been very successful, too. It looks like you're doing a lot of collaborations with other arts organizations in your region or in yes, the area as yes. well. Yeah, we, I love collaboration everywhere I go. That's, that's the big thing is I try to find what we're bringing or what we can bring and how that can maybe help another group and how we can work together. And, and there's been so many already in the short five years I've been here, including the, during the pandemic. So it's, mm. it's been a challenge, but at the same time, you know, it's kind of slowed us all down to be able to get to know each other more and, and figure out how we can help each other and, and work together. I'm curious, we were talking to you earlier about, you know, for all of us in the arts, the pandemic and the lockdown and, and kind of coming out back out of that, um, all the folks I know in the performing arts, et cetera, are saying, you know, it's slow. It's a slow build back. Mm-hmm. What have you found? I mean, does the series perhaps reflect, you know, what do you, what do you, what do you find people were missing <laughs> in a sense? What are they hungry for? Well, what's interesting is I came in thinking, having some preconceived notions about, oh, this is what's missing from the program. Yeah. And what I realized is that it's not so much what's missing, it's how we're unique compared to other programs. Because in this whole region, there's so many opportunities to see live arts and performing arts. And so the type of programs that we present are unique in some ways. Um, you know, we do a lot of world art, uh, world music. We try to mix up the genres and things, but bring in people that don't come to this region. Mm. Um, that's one of the primary things that I look at when I'm booking is try to bring unique experiences. Um, we have a very robust subscriber base, at least we did when I first got here. Uh, the pandemic's kind of shaken that up a bit, but as I mentioned before, I spoke with a lot of them and got to know them. And what they really loved is the fact that they didn't know a lot of the names or the people that were coming or the artists, but they just trusted because they'd been coming so long that it was going to be something that they liked, which is fantastic. That's where everybody in that position wants to be, where you get to bring something you know is great, even if they don't know what it is. You know, not everybody in my position has that. A lot of people need to, to sell a name or, yeah. or do something to attract people. So that was really wonderful. But what I, what I found was they liked the constant changes. Because the other thing that people in my position always get is, oh, that was great. Why don't you bring them back next year? Well, if we do that, our series is only so big, and then we don't have room to bring in even other great, you know, great people that you don't know. 
And uh, so I'm not sure if that answered your question. Yes, no, I was going to say that really speaks well to the series, though, because, again, I know folks in the field would envy that, to have that trust with the audience, mm-hmm. where you're not trying to second-guess what they already think they want to see, right. but they trust you to surprise and delight them. Well, here's the rub, though, because the pandemic kind of put a big wrench in that that whole thing. Yeah. Um, basically, we're now, subscribers have really dropped off a lot um, because a lot of our subscribers were in the most vulnerable demographic of the uh, pandemic's effects. Some of them, unfortunately, have passed away. Some have moved away. And so they've really shrunk up quite a bit now. They're coming back. Mm-hmm. This year is, is a lot better than last year, which was the first year we came back to right. live. So we're, what we're finding, actually, is we're, fi- we're getting a lot of new audience members that have never been to our series before, which I find really interesting because we don't – the way our program was set up and because we were so successful with getting subscribers and they filled more than half our house, roughly. Mm. So we didn't have a robust marketing strategy to get new people because we didn't need to – you know, we'd fill the house. Yeah. And now we need to rely on that more. But we don't have that built in. So we're trying to, to figure out those pieces right now. Are there certain pieces of, of the series that start with them? Um, actually, with Sam Bush, which I heard was a fabulous concert. It was amazing. And, and it was really great. I think it was the first time I've experienced in our hall the kind of energy that used to be there all the time before uh, a show. And the audience just really brought it that night. It was just something that special it factor, the magic that's in the air. And it just carried out through the concert. And of course, Sam Bush is an amazing performer. And so he just fed off of it and just elevated it even more. And it it was just a wonderful, wonderful night. It's a great way to kick off. Yes, yes. Do you, looking as you move through the series for the rest of the year, given what we were just talking about with the pandemic and building back and building differently, did it affect some of the choices in the lineup or are there particular folks who you'll be intrigued to see how it lands, how people will respond? Well, our history has been primarily a concert series with some dance in there. And so we are taking a chance this year with Pat Hazel's Wonder Bread Years. Um, we don't have a history of really bringing like stand-up comedy or anything like that or, you know, straight shows as opposed to musicals. Um, we have I, – I brought in a, a Million Dollar Quartet, a Broadway touring show, and we've had plenty of Broadway singers and things representing that sort of part of the world. But this will be the first time we have something. Um, and, and I chose Pat. I've known Pat for a while now. He's a former – he was one of the original four writers of Seinfeld, uh, the most popular you know sitcom of all time right now. And he created this show. It's very nostalgic and it's very – biographical, but it's, you know, it, it's perfect for baby boomers, but I'm Gen X and I relate to the show mm. the, the way he, he's written it. But what's great is he's, it's part play, one man play, but he also has kind of a part stand-up comedy in there too. So the two play really nicely. So I think it's a great introduction and, and that's what I'll be interested to see how it works, to see if we can yeah. maybe extend a little further in that direction. Oh, that's interesting. It'll be an interesting mix. Mm-hmm. And then the contortionist, who is it, Jonathan Burns, who I was not familiar with, actually, because I'm I off. wasn't either. Actually, that was a special collaboration, talking about collaborations, with that counterpart that I have that programs for students. Um, she had already had it worked out to do a special thing for students, and and she reached out to us because Jonathan was offering a second show. And okay. so that's how we, we kind of collaborated with that. We typically, and that was in August, and we typically don't do shows that early right. in the season. But it was great, and Jonathan was so wonderful to work with. He He's a pro, and, and it, it was a fun night. So it was a kind of a good way to kick off into, like, expanding our programming, as I was mentioning. 
You've been listening to Lehigh Valley Art Salon right here on WDIY 88.1. I'm your host, Kate Scuffle, and tonight I'm speaking with Brian Zelmer, director of the KU Presents series at Kutztown University. We'll be right back after this short break. Spread the word about your business or organization to a well-informed audience. Become an underwriter with WDIY. Our lineup of NPR news and locally produced programs reaches thousands of engaged listeners in the Lehigh Valley and beyond. Underwriting on WDIY is an affordable and effective way to provide information about your product and services to people who care. To learn more about underwriting opportunities, 610-694-8100 or WDIY.org. Welcome back to Lehigh Valley Art Salon here on WDIY 88.1, Lehigh Valley Public Radio. I'm your host, Kate Scuffle, and tonight we're talking with Brian Zelmer, director of the KU Presents series at Kutztown University. Welcome back, Brian. Okay, thanks for having me. <laughs> it's great. We were talking again on, on the break, too, a little bit about some of the collaborations that the series has been doing with the community. Burke's Jazz Fest, mm-hmm. uh, Fiddle Fest, yes. uh, Reading Pops, I believe. Yes. Could you share yes. a little bit about some of those? Sure. Well, I'll, I'll do them in reverse. Reading Pops <laughs> is coming to perform with the Heartland Marimba Quartet on November 7th. And what's special about that is we're we're really highlighting our brand new building that's being built. Actually, it already is essentially 90% to Done. It looks beautiful, and I can't wait till people get to go in and see it. Uh, it's the new Center for Mallet Percussion Research. Mm-hmm. We have enormous collections, uh, historic collections of marimbas and other percussion instruments, um, as well as music collections, sheet music, and and other historical mm-hmm. items that are really fascinating. And it's a very unique center. You know, I think there's only I was speaking with Dr. Kumar, who's who's been heading that up and and overseeing the center that hasn't had a building for a long time. And, um, you know, it's one of two similar institutions in, in the country. So it's very exciting that that's coming. And so we're having this, yeah, this concert with the Pops. Um, John Pizzarelli and Catherine Russell is really an interesting collaboration because it's a longstanding relationship we've had with the Burks Jazz Fest. Um, we always partner with them in presenting a jazz show in, in every season. And this year will be the first time that we actually, uh, we worked out with the festival to be uh, during the festival. So we're the second Thursday of their two-week festival. Typically, we're before or after, you know, we're like a special event outside of the festival time. So we're really excited about that, and and we're going to be their big show that night with John Pizzarelli and Catherine Russell. The other really cool collaboration about that specific show is we have the KU Art Society on campus, which is a fairly new group. It's a nonprofit group that... Um, their, one of their primary missions is called the PLAY Initiative, which is an acronym that stands for Promoting the Love of Arts in Youth. And what they do is they provide special funding for artists such as John Pitzrell and Catherine Russell to do a special K-12 through program hmm. in addition to the public concert. And, and it's completely free for school districts, including the busing. They pay for the busing and everything. And we fill our Schaefer Auditorium with school children, and, and they get these special, unique arts engagement opportunities with professionals. Wow, that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. And that's so. That's the Kutztown University Art Society. Is a newer, newer, fairly yeah, new. Yeah, it started pre-COVID. right before the uh, the pandemic, yeah. and we got our feet and and got off the ground and created the play initiative, and had several successful events. And then, of course, the pandemic hit. So we're just regrouping now. But we've already got this year planned, and uh, we're looking ahead. We have a lot of new board members, and it's it's actually growing, which mm. is really really great to see. And kind of dovetailing a little bit with that, there's a 
with the family series, it's the family series now. The family that, series, yes. yes. And that's something that was very popular. It used to be known as the children's series. Okay, okay. And for whatever reason, uh, several years ago, it went away. And I'm, mm-hmm. I wasn't here at the time to know why that decision was made. But um, it was always very popular. And, and looking back at the data, it always did well financially, too. So that's something that we're trying to expand again, get some family member audiences. Really, our, we called it the family series because we're not focusing only on children. We're, we're focusing focusing on, what is that saying, 2 to 92 or right, whatever. Right, right. And, and that's what's great. The types of shows we're, we're looking at for that, really, you don't have to have children to come and it's going to be something culturally significant that you can enjoy, but it'll be accessible for young children to also enjoy and get something out of. So those are the types of shows that we're looking at, where some of our programming you might be too young for, you know, in our right. performing artist series. Yeah, it struck me looking at it, it was more all ages programming. Yes, than it, sh- it's yes. not children's theater. Or all something. ages yeah, is a good yeah, way to put it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you know, as you move forward, I mean, well, as, as we all move forward and, and open up again and come together again, what directions would you like to explore next? Where would you like to take it? Well, I... I always like to kind of push the boundaries a little bit and see, uh, you know, taking a little bit of risk. And unfortunately, this is really not the time to do that following the pandemic. Yeah. It, I was heading that direction. And as I talked about before, the the subscribers were coming with me. They, they were really happy to see what I was doing and, and willing to take risks with me. And I think because of the rebuilding we need to do, unfortunately, it, it kind of puts that on the back burner a little bit. But that's always something that I want to do. But I think there's other opportunities, again, through collaboration. That's really my focus is finding even more community partners and finding ways to find out what's missing from them and, and what they would like to see and um, how they could be involved and how they want to be involved. And I think that'll help guide my programmatic mm-hmm. choices. So, mm-hmm. I would encourage our listeners to go on the website. Too. It's an excellent website. Find out more about the series because it is it is already really excitingly diverse between the family series, the performing arts series, everything that's going on. And um, I don't know. I'm I can't wait to get back out and explore. It's been a while since I've been on the campus myself. Has it been? Uh, has the community been excited to have this back in its lap, yes. so to speak? Oh yes. Uh, the people that have come back. So we're. I'll be honest with you. We're not back to full capacity, right. but we are tracking with national average. So. It just came out. There were numbers that came out in September about a big study that was done. And nationally, venues across the country are about 60% of what they normally would be doing right now as far as attendance and, and financially. And you have additional insight into that because you're you're also the head of the PA Presenters Organization. Uh, yeah, I'm the pres- current president of Pennsylvania Presenters. Okay. And I also serve on a national organization called Association of Performing Arts Presenters and um, part of a committee with them. And and they, they share a lot of data. And what's great, yeah. what I love about our industry is we're very transparent parent with one another and we really share a lot of information and and help each other in a lot of ways. And it's really only been enhanced in that way because of the pandemic. We've met a lot more frequently. You know, we we talk and share a lot more than we ever have. So and that's how I know, even though if I didn't have that information, I would be panicking right now, you know, that Mm. we're not back to full capacity two years later since coming back. But knowing that we're right on track with the rest of the country and we are trending up, we're growing every show, you know, we've we keep growing more and more. And so we're getting closer. And I, I feel good that we're on the right way to get back to, quote unquote, normal, you know, numbers and filling the house again, selling out again. But it, our audience, as I mentioned before, is going to be different than what it was before, which is good, because we do want to serve more, you know, the entire community if we can. Right. And before we were kind of serving the same people all the time. So it's, mm. in some way, it's, again, you know, kind of shook us up to wake us up and, and realize, wait, 
this is an opportunity, not necessarily just a bad thing. I often think, though, of, you know, for the performing arts, the gathering element of it, the sharing element of it, I think one of the shocks of post-COVID has been that the world we left isn't there. It's a different mm-hmm. world now it really you know, is. on so many levels. Mm-hmm. Um, and to come together as a community and be able to explore that and feel supportive and together yes. is going to, I would suspect, become increasingly crucial. Yes. And for our listeners, too, when we talk about something like the Pennsylvania Presenters Organization or the network mm-hmm. of folks that you work with, you know, when you're putting together the season, do you all, do folks share leads? Do you gather? How do you, <laughs> do the artists chase you down? I mean. So uh, there's no, we were talking about the type of role I'm in. There's yeah. no cookie cutter or no two presenters that I've ever met do it exactly the same. Even me being at different venues, when I've programmed for different venues, my approach has been tailored again for that community that I'm in and the way that that season works, the timing of it. But generally speaking, it's something that we always dream about is something called routing. And that's where multiple presenters that are not too close, where they can't both have the same show, but but close enough where it's an easy route for the artist to work together and maybe get three or four venues that can work together on the same show. And that helps the artist and because they are not going as far, it saves some expenses for them. And then they can pass that savings on to the presenters so it's a little cheaper for them. That's always something that we try to, we talk about it a lot, Mm -hmm. but unfortunately it's something that used to happen a lot more a a long time ago. And now it's something unique or special when it when it does occur. It happens once in a while, but it's not as frequent, unfortunately. It's interesting. It's, it's a lifeline for the artists, too, to have a network like this yeah, all over the yeah. country, a way to introduce artists and performers to the mm-hmm. people outside of just New York or Well, and now, or, what, what we're seeing now, though, is before artists would still be open to what's called a one-out or one-off, where you can hire them, it'll cost you a little more money, but they'll just come out even if they don't have another show in the area. And now a lot of artists, because expenses are are more and because also the pandemic showed them that they were on this treadmill and constantly away from their families and homes, that they're being a little more choosy, rightfully so, Mm -hmm. so they can have that work-life balance, too, that they deserve as well. So they wait for a route to come about before they decide to go out on the road. A lot of them are, are deciding to do that. So in some ways, that makes it a little more challenging for the presenter because they'll only be out for certain windows now where before maybe, okay, they're not out during that time, but we'll pay a little more to entice them right, to come. Right. And now they're thinking, oh, I, I need to be with my family during that time. Oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Uh, but it makes sense. It mm-hmm. does. Does that change the way that you look at perhaps, I don't know, the geographic location of performers or the or treating the regional availability different? <sighs> not so much for my program, yeah. but that is something that is happening. I speak with a lot of agents. You ask me how I find out about shows before and they honest I'm inundated with email all the time from and um, you know cold calls and from artists and agents we get mail pieces all the time but I go to conferences as well and industry conferences where they have showcases and expo halls where you can meet the agents and it's really a long game it's getting to know people kind of discovering them and then following them and seeing what they're doing and waiting, waiting for every, all the pieces. There's a lot of different pieces to fall in just right. So I might learn about an artist this year at the APAP conference, which happens every January, that I might not work with until three, four, or five years from now. Um, but the artists that I'm booking now are either ones that I noticed, you know, for a while, or like I was mentioning before off air, the uh, that we have a few carryovers from people that were canceled 
during um, during COVID. Oh, so. that's right. Yeah. And in this series, and the series yes, is ongoing yes. right now. Yeah, so we wanted to do what was right by the artists. We hired, we booked them at one point, but then because of the pandemic had to cancel. And so we decided to reschedule them and, and make sure that we still bring them to Kutztown, let my audience see them right. and experience their art. And I think, da- is Danu one of those? Danu is well, one I'm of I'm looking those. forward to. Yes, they're doing the holiday show, which is, is really... It has so much buzz. I mean, they already have such a following in this area. And so, yeah, it's really exciting. That's another one like Sam Bush where the excitement's already in the air and it's over a month away. So we're we're so excited to uh, to see Who else was rescheduled? I'm curious. So um, the other two reschedules, well, Laura Benanti, um, who ends our season this year Mm -hmm. as the Broadway star, and uh, she'll be doing a concert in April. And then right in the middle, we have the Kingdom Choir from London. That's right. That's right. And I was fascinated by this. There's a gospel choir who also do non-gospel material correct, and correct. fabulous. Yes. And I think it is unusual for the average American audience to be like, oh, wait, but they're British? Yes. <laughs> but they're fabulous. And they really got their – they've been around a long time, but they got their claim to fame internationally. Um, I forgot when they added up all of the different views, it was something like in the billions of views, which, you know, is really unheard of. But I, I think 20-something million is the highest okay. single view. But anyway, um, I'm getting into the weeds there. But the Kingdom <laughs> Choir was really known because they sang at the royal wedding of um, Meghan Markle and and I'm forgetting which prince. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was I think it was Harry. Harry I think the yes, choir stole yes. the show though. Oh yes. That's yeah. the thing. They they were fantastic. They and, were amazing. And that's really how I became aware of them myself. And then I'm you know, I knew the agent that represented them and that's when conversation started. It's incredible. It's incredible to think they'll be right here with us in Kutztown. Yes, yeah, I can't wait. It's an opportunity. Unfortunately, we're just about out of time. Again, for our audience, the website is... KUPresents.org. Right. And I strongly encourage you to go explore it and support having international and national fabulous arts live in in our presence again in Schaefer Auditorium. Yes. Right on the Kutztown campus. Thank you, Brian. Thank you for the wonderful work you're doing. Thank you, Kate. Thank you, listeners, for joining me today in the Salon. You can find past episodes of the Art Salon and our other public affairs programming at WDIY.org, on the WDIY phone app, and, of course, on all the major podcast platforms. I'm Kate Scuffle. This is WDIY 88.1 FM, and I look forward to joining you again soon right here in the Lehigh Valley Art Salon.